That's Kevin O'Rourke. I can see him right across the table. And that is the indefatigable Jeff Hutton. This is Reformacy Dispatch. Kevin, it has been ages. I've seen you through television screens, yeah. uh, uh, computer screens, Zoom screens. Here in person, live. Here we are in Post-pandemic. Person, post-pandemic. And we're at a actual podcast studio, which is, we're going to take it up a notch. Right. We're borrowing it from uh, Togo Crypto. Yeah. And it's literally in the basement. So it's literally a crypt. Togo Crypto crypt. Yeah. That, you made That's that funny. joke before. That's yeah. funny. Do we have a laugh track, Stephen? Yeah. <laughs> this is actually a, the first time that uh, Kevin's met Stephen. Um, we'll keep him. On today's program, apropos nothing, spokesman for the Constitutional Court says Widodo can serve as VP. Buzz Whedon's Q&A with the KPK that went half a day. Is that a meter? Did I speak in a meter there? Iambic pentameter. But first, Indonesia has been riveted to an ongoing investigation of what's been known as the Brigadier J murders. Now, Brigadier J is a reference to the alleged murder victim. We're going to get right into it, and I have a whole potted history Okay, if you, is, can, if you can uh, sum up uh, the whole case, uh, I want to hear it. So go you, ahead, give it a try. Okay, give it a try. Bring All it right. on. I'm, a, I'm being set up for failure. I can feel it right now. Okay, I'm going to start again. Brigadier J is a reference to an alleged murder victim, Yashua Hutabara, who held the rank of sergeant and was an assistant to Police General Ferdi Sambo. Right so far? Right. Right, okay. Media coverage is fixated on whether Hutabara died at Sambo's hand in revenge for allegedly raping his wife, Puchi Chandrawati, in early July. Okay, these names are really important to remember. Accounts of the rape stem from testimony from Sambo himself. Other members of his entourage include Kuat Maruf, a personal assistant for the family, and police assistant Ricky Rizka, are also said to have given their accounts. Right so far? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Komnas Parempuan, the... Komnas Prempuan Chair CT, let's try this again. Komnas Prempuan Chair CT Amina Tardi affirmed earlier this month that Chandrawati has in fact been raped. Trouble is, all the publicly available accounts seem to stem from Sambo's side. So we haven't had too many independent investigations. And the, the independent investigations are actually turning up more interesting, uh, more interesting information. Edwin Parogi, the vice chair of the Witness Victim Protection Agency, LPSK, right, uh, doubts Sambo's testimony. Uh, their investigation so far has turned up no evidence of struggle and suggests that Ms. Chandrawati remained in close proximity to Hutabara, that's Frigidor J, uh, and even sought him out in the days after the alleged rape, which is sort of at odds with what a uh, a rape victim may do, may or may not do. The upshot is that Miss Chandrawati was romantically involved with someone other than her husband. That's fine. That's her business. But it now seems that an outside witness, a police cadet named Lumio, alleges in a dramatic twist worthy of Bollywood, it, it wasn't Hutabara at all who she was in an affair with, but Maruf, right? Right. And the pair of them cooked up a story that Hutabara raped Chachawati yeah. in order to scotch his testimony and cast doubt on anything he might say. Right. And the other assistant, Rizki, that you mentioned earlier, came out just within the past day or two, the headlines this morning, 
latest news is that he has changed his testimony. And he now sides with Lumio in saying that the story of a rape was something that Sambo cooked up and Sambo organized everybody to get their story straight before having to testify. So so basically the, the holes in, in this story are, are, are you, know, you know, creeping up now. So with a, just the tiniest little bit of independent investigation, um, do we know if Dabarat was actually murdered? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was shot to death. Yeah. So what's interesting is that uh, Sambo has been revealed to have been the kingpin, basically, of a network within the police, an informal network known as the 303 Consortium, which has allegedly provided protection rackets across the country for criminal activity, including prostitution, narcotics, smuggling, manipulating diesel fuel subsidies, and uh, uh, illegal alcohol, things like that. And so now the police chief, Listio Rabobo, is uh, sacking police officers right, left, and center. And this holds promise for more police reform than has ever been seen before. (laughs) Well, does the massive media interest in this create any sort of momentum for police reform? I mean, we've we've heard about police reform before and it hasn't really gone anywhere. That's right. Should this be different? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of reason for skepticism, of course. Uh, there have been false starts of police reform, but, uh, you know, the police is one of these institutions that basically has undergone little or no reform since the Suharto era. So it's long overdue. And institutions can change. Institutions do change sometimes. And the circumstances right now are markedly different. Um, Listio himself being the, the chief figure of importance here. And he's somebody that came up through the ranks without having to do the dirty deeds that officers often have to do in order to get promotions. He came up as somebody who was a confidant of Widodo. They knew each other 15 years ago in Solo. So that's how and why Listio became police chief. So therefore, he's much different from any police chief the police have had before. And he's clearly had ambitions for reform. He's a clean skin then. Should be, yeah. It would would seem like that. (laughs) He didn't. When you talk about this, the the nefarious deeds that police normally have to do, what are you, what are you talking about? Sort of, you got to, like, what's, what, what are you suggesting there? Well, yeah, just in general, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a big institution with a lot of interest. And so in order to get to the top, you have to be um, embroiled or uh, uh, entangled with those interests. It's, uh, it's been virtually impossible for anyone who's remotely an outsider to attain the post of police chief. The police law says that candidates for police chief have to come from among three-star officers, which is a very small group to begin with. So I think Widodo has basically been grooming Listio for years now until he was finally appointed in January of last year. Huh. Um, so he's been in, Listio has been in place, and then all of a sudden uh, this two-star general uh, who's in charge of internal affairs and professionalism within the police, Ferdy Sambo. Sambo is yeah. in charge of internal affairs. Yeah. He's in charge of policing the police. Yes, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's, which is he's convenient a, for being the uh, chief racketeer. Yeah. He heads a racketeer <laughs> yeah. and, and protection racket. Yeah, and that, that's significant oh. because it means that the police can't claim that he was just a, a renegade a figure who right. was operating on his own as a maverick. He was very much at the center of the center. He was very much at the core. So anyway, the, the, what, my point is that uh, Listio has, has already been in place since last year, and then all of a sudden this general, uh, Sambo, appears to have executed uh, this uh, sergeant, Yashua Hutabarat. 
And that has precipitated this sequence of events since then, which basically in, includes uh, revelations about what's been going on. And then in the recent days, just a, a rapid fire sacking of officers and not just sacking them from their positions, but sacking them from the police. So uh, fairly senior officers, um, equivalent to colonel in the military, are no longer members of the police. And uh, that that has happened on very rare occasions in the past, but never on the scale or at the pace happening now. There's five fairly senior officers uh, sacked within the past two weeks and possibly uh, three more next week. Okay. Um, so this has given them an opportunity to get out the broom and start cleaning house. What confidence do you have, if any, that this can continue? Because we've sort of seen this movie before. I'm thinking Budi Gunawarman. Oh, it'll be fine. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Budi Gunawan was a uh, saga back in 2015 and he's still around. So that was a a very controversial three-star general that Widodo chose back then for police chief, apparently at the behest of Megawati, with whom Budi Gunawan has long been close. And the KPK at that time, which was uh, very credible back then, protested. And so Widodo placed Budi Gunawan as head of the intelligence agency instead, and he's still there. Uh, so, yeah, that's an indication that, uh, yeah, yeah, these things can go forward and backwards. And there's a lot of vested interest in positions of power that would not want to see reform of the police. And so yeah, there could be some blowback or backlash uh, the interests that are affected by these changes uh, or, or potential changes or the, or the sackings that happened recently can uh, use their influence and connections to try to access the president. So it's all going right. to depend on the president ultimately. Uh, so like everything. <laughs> someone could call in a favor yeah. to Jokowi's inner circle and sort of tamp this down. And he has shown a certain amount of ambivalence towards a criminal justice reform. The KPK is no longer independent, for example. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, just uh, organizational reform in general, whether it's for the bureaucracy or criminal justice or democratization. These are all things that Widodo has uh, steered clear from. He's not an organization guy. He, he was a furniture entrepreneur until the age of 50 or so. So he's not really adept at manipulating organizations ironically for somebody who heads the entire government but uh, yeah so the, but the, he does get governance like he does get the the idea of the need for clean government because i mean he he suffered at their hand uh yeah what he what we is always concerned about is output of services of right. government to the public and uh when that hits stumbling blocks in whatever form, uh, often in the form of poor governance or injustice or a lack of performance of law enforcement agencies, then that's something that needs to be fixed. So that, that's how he's approaching this, I think, yeah. Before we go back to discussing the, the, the case again, because there's some things that are, that are baffling, doesn't this strike you as like pure joke Like he's not interested really in in bureaucratic reform or criminal justice reform, but he's been grooming Lustio to take <laughs> the top job and reform at, and it's come about in the dying days. Wow. The last 18 months or so of his president, which is exactly when you'd want to do something like this. Yeah. Isn't it sort of, I mean, it just sort of feels like on the one hand, you know, he's not a details guy when it comes to this, but on the other hand, he, he actually put a cat among the pigeons. I, I mean, it kind of, it kind of feels like a masterstroke. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it would have been possible to do this at an earlier stage, but um, yeah, it's a shame that it's uh, come so late in the Widodo era. Right. But better late than never. And, uh, you know, it still hasn't yet to really begin, so we right. don't want to get too far ahead. Well, we're, but, not, uh, we're not even sure there's, yeah. there's that much there there. Yet. Yeah. Um, mm. What's at stake in terms of getting, uh, making Indonesia seem cleaner the criminal justice system seem more transparent what oh it's huge yeah i, I mean it's, i know it's everything yeah. but can- <laughs> this has always been indonesia's achilles heel you know the, the the lack of legal certainty unpredictability of legal system outcomes uh, the risk of spurious legal proceedings uh, cropping up at any time for anybody operating here in either in business or an ngo or academia or whatever Right. Um, and a lack of legal recourse when something does go wrong and there is injustice and you want to do something about it, you, you may or may not be able to. <laughs> right. So being able to address uh, any or, or all of that would be enormous for Indonesia. It can't all be fixed at one fell stroke, of course, but it's possible to make improvements and chip away at it and at least get started on the process. And just making a credible start would help with confidence. And um, yeah, it, I think it's... Uh, Maybe just a, a matter of ousting the worst elements, of which uh, Ferdi Sambo appears to clearly have been one of them. Just uh, a real piece of work. A general who executes a sergeant. Yeah. Well, can I, can I just follow up on that for a second? What was he thinking? Like, How does the rape story negate shooting a guy three times? Well, that's okay then. <laughs> yeah. I get his motives. He was just hot <laughs> under the collar. They dig up the body and they find that he's been shot multiple times. Yeah, but it was because he raped his wife. Yeah. so that's okay. Was that was that the, was that the thinking? Yeah, it. Uh, I guess so. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, no, none of it does. Yeah, and the, the motive just doesn't make any sense. It's uh, it's hard to know what's going on. And and yeah, this general Sambo appears to be somebody who is uh, deeply untrustworthy. And so yeah, anything that he says really. Um, uh, is probably not what happened. Um, so uh, it, it's hard to know what did happen, but it's uh, it's easier to know what didn't happen. And that's what what he says yeah. happened is what didn't happen. <laughs> right. The, the the plot twist at the end, alleging the rape, that was like pure Cersei, Queen Cersei sort of stuff. And I thought that you just throw in a dragon and some White Walkers and you've got like <laughs> half a season one there. I mean, that is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of... By the by, really, I mean, uh, th- there was a, a murder for whatever the whatever reason, whatever the motive was, and uh, there was also strenuous efforts to cover it up, and uh, that's the area that uh, Listio and a, a high-level ethics panel is focusing on. So, a lot of the sackings that have happened over the past two weeks pertain to efforts by these officers to disturb the crime scene, a stage, a false crime scene, and steal evidence like CCTV footage and uh, process uh, reports um, wrongly and things like that. So, Could we dodo back off? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. This, this could uh, fall apart at, at any moment, but... Uh, on the other hand, one of the steps that that other that could happen alternatively is a uh, genuine investigation of these claims of a three hundred three consortium that uh, that Sambo allegedly headed, and it's interesting that about uh, two and a half weeks ago, a document surfaced that was. Uh, about six pages long with excruciating detail in diagrams and, and maps and text 
outlining a whole network uh, and um, connections between various police officers around the country and uh, underworld figures in, in, in cities. And this is a document that uh, looks like a police document. It sort of has the, the substance and style of a uh, police um, you know, research uh, dossier. And uh, Listio came out early this week and said that um, the police are looking into it. So in other words, uh, instead of just dismissing this thing as something that's anonymous and unfounded and, and therefore you know, totally irrelevant, he didn't do that. He said, yeah, we're going to examine this. And uh, he also said that if I hear of anything wrong about an officer, I'm going to sack the officer from the police. Um, so he, he's putting out very strong messages about what he plans to do. Um, and so far, got the backing of the president. So there's yeah. reason to hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Buzz Whedon's Q&A with a KPK. Um, 11 hours seems like quite a lot. It's uh, It sort of feels like Hillary Clinton and Benghazi type <laughs> stuff. Like they got, they really want to make a point with this guy. Um, and and the KPK is not the independent beast that it once was. So what's going on here? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, there's uh, ample reason to suspect a political agenda in the KPK's um, preliminary investigation of Jakarta Governor Anis Baswedan for his uh, planning and staging of the uh, Formula E. Did you uh, watch that? Did you see any of that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I did. I, I, I was carefully watching the construction of the racetrack because I didn't believe they would get it done on time. So the race itself, I didn't watch. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I was checking hey, all the it photos. Would be quiet. You wouldn't have those engines running. I know. Yeah, you don't get the vroom vroom that uh, vroom, vroom. You, 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 one enjoys at a, a proper race. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. The Formula E is uh, gaining popularity. Race. It's, it's it's growing. It's a valid sport, I think. But um, what's the KPK's complaint of the ostensible the, uh, the ostensible? Complaint? Well, so in in the old days, the KPK would uh, make the case for the investigation very clear. Uh, they would make it uh, you know, abundantly clear to everybody what happened and what was wrong and why they're investigating. Nowadays, that doesn't happen. Uh, they just uh, investigate and don't really say why. So there's no explanation of what it is that Best Wade or anybody else uh, did wrong. Um, there has been criticism of Best Wade and for having committed the provincial administration to paying an annual fee to the Formula E race organizers in Europe of, I, I believe it's about uh, $20 million a year over a period of uh, four or five years. And that extends beyond the end of his term. So that's like, that's if nothing else, poor etiquette to commit your successor to a fee that they haven't budgeted. Um, but whether that's, year. is that corruption? Yeah, it's uh, not necessarily. So yeah, I think it's $20 million a year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's quite the legacy move. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah, there, there's there's no uh, evidence of wrongdoing disclosed yet by the KPK, and yet they questioned him for 11 hours uh, uh, late last week. Just when you'd want to be starting your your bid for president. That's right. He leaves office next month and uh, will start his informal campaigning for a year before the formal campaigning starts thereafter, probably. What's the backing uh, coalition? What's, what, it looks like support? he. Sh- it looks like he should be able to get uh, necessary support from three parties. So there's two parties that would be enthusiastic for him and that would be comfortable for him, and that's Nasdem of Studio Paulo, uh, the media tycoon, 
and uh, Democrat, the party of the Yudiono family. But together, they are two parliamentary seats short of the nominating threshold. Uh, they have uh, 19.7% and they need 20% of seats in parliament. Oh. Yeah. So they need a third party. And the only one available at the moment, it would appear, would be PKS, the opposition party, which is Indonesia's most hardline Islamic party. And that's a problem for Baswedan because he desperately needs to recast himself as a moderate and having PKS in his camp complicates that. Right. So that's the skunk he wants to get rid of from his particular picnic. Um, so <laughs> is, right. So is he kind of there, but there's another party that might be coming to the party. Yeah. So what happened uh, just last week is PPP, or known as Paytiga, uh, changed its chair. And uh, it's a bit curious that that would have happened at this juncture. Mona Arfa got the boot. Yes. He's been replaced with? Uh, um, Mariono, who is a uh, another business figure in the party, um, has a very senior position in politics as a member of the Presidential Advisory Council, the Juan Timpres, which has no power, but it's, uh, it's a, a body that the president is supposed to consult for advice when he needs it. So it's a, it's a way to honor somebody. So uh, it's an honorable position that uh, Mardiono has. And um, he's been able to leverage that into becoming the interim chair of Petiga. Munarfa is a cabinet minister too. Yeah, Suharso Munarfa is the national development planning minister, head of Bapanas. So all the development agencies or donor organizations like the World Bank, uh, ADB uh, have to interact with Bapanas regularly. So, well, that's quite the job. So he would be quite enthralled to the KIB to to Widodo's coalition, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, he's been very loyal, uh, very loyal to Widodo. Uh, Mariano, you would think, would be loyal too because he was given this nice post on the one Timpres by the president. Uh, but on the other yeah, hand, it's not Bapanas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, he. Uh, so the question is whether he will, quote unquote, betray the administration and uh, take Petiga out of the KIB and back uh, Baswedan instead. And if so, that would um, enable Baswedan to not have to rely on PKS. So they've got like a handful of seats. You can right. put them in an Uber. And, yeah. But that's enough to get them over the line as long as nobody yeah. dies. It's very valuable for Baswedan, that, that, that stake right. that Petiga has. Uh, right now in the KIB, Petiga is superfluous. Uh, KIB has Golkar, Pan, and Petiga, and Golkar and Pan together pass the threshold. They don't need Petiga. That's just there for window dressing. Right. Yeah. And Petiga is an Islamic party like PKS, but it's not as strident and um, odious as uh, PKS, I guess, to, to moderates. So a candidate with the backing of KIB that includes Petiga would not really owe Petiga too much. Yeah. But a candidate with a that relies on the backing of a coalition that includes Petiga um that just gets them over the line would owe them a fair bit. Yeah. And by owe you mean paying cash, right? No, I mean like honor <laughs> no. the president, oh, like oh, these sorry. honorific yeah. roles, right? Yeah. I want to get that. That's a good gig. I mean, like podcasting and that sort of uh, stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, the odd ambassador. The next best thing, yeah. <laughs> Maybe an ambassadorship to the Vatican. I'm not sure. What would I want? I was if what, what what position would I want? We don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyway, so you're you're thinking now you're you're sort of putting it all together and it kind of looks like it might be a little bit of machination from from Anis Basweden. Yeah. Yeah, especially because to get the, the stench of 2017 off of him. Yeah, the, the circumstances by which Monoarfa became in, embroiled in controversy and embattled in the party and ousted are funny because um, what he did is he addressed uh, an assembly organized by the KPK about how to prevent corruption in political parties. And he stood up in front of a group of about 100 people maybe. And he recounted a story about how when he goes to Islamic boarding schools, Pesantanen, senior clerics uh, ask him for envelopes of cash. And they always do it over and over again. And that's what we do on this show. And yeah, and he was ousted for that. And that was it. And he was out the door. So there was there was never any question or discussion about whether or not his assertion was true or false. But instead, <laughs> it was just about the fact that he made the assertion. Yeah. yeah. What's that guy that um in the Republican Party, the congressman who didn't who didn't win um uh, uh, his primary because he was he he said that he's constantly being invited to orgies or something like that and oh. he got kicked out because he had the cat out of the bag or something what yeah that? that's uh, uh yeah that's madison north what? carolina right okay that's kind of like that <laughs> yeah yeah it is yeah, yeah. never mind the substance of the allegations it's the allegation itself you let the cat out of the bag <laughs> yeah um okay is any any the truth to the rumor at all do you think? I mean, what what are Baswedan's chances anyway? Uh, he can't be counted out because uh, you need a majority to to win the presidency, and if it's a field of uh, three or maybe even four tickets, and uh, if the vote is fragmented, then yeah, somebody might be able to squeeze into second place and force a runoff where things could be unpredictable. So that's a long way to go. Um, he's not that far behind in the polls. You know, the good survey that came out last month from Saiful Muljani showed Ganjar and Prabowo tied in a three-way scenario with about 32 and 31% respectively. And Basweden was at 22% with right. 15% undecided. It's not so a bad position not, to be in. Yeah, not that far back. Although he has probably near universal name recognition, so something would have to give. But if if Ganjar, assuming that he runs, were to stumble and Prabowo is Prabowo, then he's got a shot. Yeah, yeah. Of course, a running mate may very well be Choco Widodo, <laughs> vice president. For somebody, yeah. <laughs> Choco Widodo. Yeah. So no, last that, week, I wouldn't, I'm not going to hold my breath, but uh, right, that, that is the, the talk of the town at the moment. Yeah, yes. compa- all, the me- all the outlets are reporting on it. Uh, I think Bloomberg did a summary of a Compass story that my paper wants to put out. And yeah, lo and behold, um, there's a, a, a not even a ruling, just sort of an assertion from the spokesperson of the Constitutional Court that it would be okay. You can't run for election for an elected position twice, but you can be elevated to it. Yeah, the, this talk arose about a month ago from some uh, sort of mid-level party figures in parliament, I, th- I think from Garindra, but uh, it's unclear what really prompted it. But in any event, it's uh, been gaining attention. And it is true, as this uh, constitutional court spokesperson said, that the letter of the law of the Constitution states that no one may run more than twice for the same office of either president or vice president. But it doesn't uh, explicitly rule out serving more than twice as president or vice president. Wait. So you simply can't run more than twice. You you cannot 
compete. You cannot stand as a candidate twice more. Oh, sorry, you cannot stand as a candidate and then serve more than twice, but more than twice, right? More than twice. Yeah, but you can serve in some other way, uh, and namely <laughs> running that third time, not for president, but rather for vice president, and then having something calamitous happen to your president, and then become president uh, that way. Putin style. Putin style. <laughs> so, but this is all Gangster. moot, you know, and, and the reason why is because uh, there's going to be a lack of party support for it and also a lack of voter support. Why would there be a lack of party support? They would love it, wouldn't they? Uh, no, because um, you know, the, the parties are in it for themselves, uh, understandably. Oh, in the coalition. Yeah, yeah the alliance. So the, there's only one of, of the nine parties that passes the threshold on its own. That's PDIP. Uh, but their presidential candidate would be Puan Maharani. So that would sort of be a non-starter, even with Joko Wee as her running mate. Uh, that ticket would fare poorly. It seems as if the idea here is that Widodo would be the running mate of Prabowo. But Prabowo's party, Gurinder, only has 13% of parliament, so it needs an ally. And that ally is PKB right now. And the reason PKB is willing to ally with Gurindra is because PKB is dead set on getting a vice presidential nomination for its chair, Mohammed Iskandar. So, so you put Widodo in there instead, and then PKB falls out, and then there's no party to get Gurindra over the threshold anymore. And there's not a lot of uh, you know, cross-party support for Prabowo to begin with. Uh, so there's not a lot of other parties that are going to be jumping at that chance. And then on the on the voter side, when it comes to the actual election, even if there was a ticket with Widodo that was able to compete, uh, voters would not respond to that. Uh, the rationale or the, the uh, pillar of Widodo's popularity to date is that he's a democratic figure who respects the rules. And so if he tries to pull a fast one like this, which... The voters in Indonesia are going to be very well aware of what's happening. His popularity would decline precipitously, and he would not really be strong uh, in the election, I don't think. Now, he doesn't do the second fiddle, I don't think. Uh, it would be a real step down. I, it wouldn't make any logical sense yeah, that, other that, than that, a power yeah, grab. Right. Yeah, that's the other issue is what's the point? What's the, what's the point of being vice president anyway? Vice president doesn't do anything. So, so what are we talking about here? I if, don't know. <laughs> yeah, you brought do, it up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I misread the WhatsApp chat group wrong. <laughs> oh, don't talk about the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, would he even want the job? Or would he as part of um, – a, you know, poor old Ganjar. Yeah, that, that can't be discounted because Widodo has clearly been actively examining ways to avoid leaving office. Um, yeah, there was a, a push to amend the Constitution either to uh, you know, extend his term or gain a third term, and um, that fell through. Finally, the parties were not uh, willing to support that, and that was um, you know, early this year. But uh, so it, it's possible that uh, this is something that the president would be amenable to. So the, the, the concern here, the, the bigger picture is that if this is indeed something that's coming from a high level yeah. within the administration or even from Widodo himself, yeah. then that might imply that there is a loss of confidence in the uh, scenario of having Ganjar be the whoa. administration-friendly candidate uh, for them. The air went out of that balloon pretty fast. What happened? I don't know. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, this is all speculation here, but um, yeah, if you know, it, we don't care about it, speculation. It, it, That's fine. Until now, it, it is. It seemed as if uh, Widodo preferred for Ganjar to be the presidential nominee that he would back, and uh, hopefully that's still the case. There's no reason to think otherwise. But uh, 
If this uh, vice presidential scheme is something that's coming from a high level, then it would imply that you know, there's uh, some reevaluation going on about Ganjar for whatever reason. He needs a number of things to break in his favor. Ganjar, yeah. Doesn't he? I mean, he, he, yeah. he needs a party, a big party to back him in the that's first right. place. And yeah. that is not a done deal. No, Golkar is uh, really hesitating. And uh, that hesitation is costly because uh, Ganjar really needs to uh, start working now to elevate his profile. Because he is still the regional figure. Yeah, that's right. Not a, he doesn't have the national profile. Yeah, not really. He's immensely popular in his own province and moderately popular everywhere else. And yet so is Ridodo in 2012. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, a yeah. So the it's a, difference is that he had a national figure backing him. He had Prabowo. Back way way back then. He oh, and yeah. he, he had Prabowo backing him to take the uh the spot of the governor of, of Jakarta and that gave yeah. him the national prominence. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was Megawati and Prabowo who nominated uh, a benefactor. That's right. Yeah. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you heard it here first. Ganjar is uh, gone. No. <laughs> no. I mean, <laughs> that's the episode it's, title. <laughs> Wait a minute. No. <laughs> it, fundamentally, the fundamentals are still good for Ganjar. The outlook is, is still good for him because his poll ratings are so strong, and he does have that upside potential. So ultimately. Some grouping of parties is going to nominate him, I'm quite confident, because it's just going to be too tempting uh, for them uh, to, to do that. Uh, it's be such a clear-cut chance to win the presidency for themselves that the, the idea that uh, all nine of these parties are going to um, you know, exclude Ganjar from the race is uh, uh, too far-fetched. Um, it's, uh, they, they can't maintain the unity of their ranks that way. There's going to be some group of them that uh, takes the temptation to nominate Ganjar, even though they're not enthusiastic about him, and, uh, and, and in that way win the race. Also, parties that uh, collectively you know, collaborate to exclude Ganjar are going to be punished by voters, uh, too. So, There is such a difference, though, out there in the air from 10 years ago when the, the prospect – and the promise of Jokowi was first creeping into the national stage. There was, there was an electricity through the the electorate that there was a chance for change. This guy was the real deal. He's one of us. He came from the slums. When he looks like us, he he walks and talks like us, and he was really adept at using the media. And now he is, you know, Ganjar is popular, but the country in twenty twelve was. Really, there was no stopping his his uh, ascent. It, it felt like it was an inexorable rise, and uh, he had some he had some uh, powerful uh, opposition in the name of Megawati to begin with. That ten years on, it's an open question of whether Ganjar can make it over the line. What does that say about the mood of the country? Do you think it's the uh, it's it's a statement on the. Uh, insularity of the elite. It's it's the parties uh, that uh, are at fault here for this circumstance, and not not the public. Are the public happy? Because I remember ten years they were not happy. There's corruption all over the place, and it does feel like things are better now. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think there's there's going to be a, a very similar uh, level of enthusiasm for a candidate like Ganjar uh, this time around uh, as there was the last two times. Uh, so even after Widodo served for five years, in 2019, he was 
still able to maintain majority support, even though there had already been some you know, disappointments about how he governed during those first five years in terms of governance reform in particular. Um, so yeah, that, that, that coalition back in Widodo appears to be intact and available for whatever candidate can resemble Widodo. And, it's the, it's the right. parties, it's the elite, right. as always, which is the problem. Right. Uh, they're disconnected from the public and they're serving their own interests. Uh, so rather. maybe they've learned lessons of 2012, 2014, not to let. Yeah. Right. Not, <laughs> not to let the monster of the creation get you know, yeah. out of the lab. Keep out the rabble rousers. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let it out of the lab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but here's the saving grace. And th this is the thing that sets Indonesia apart from a lot of other countries in the world that have had some failed democratic experiments over the past 15 years, especially in the Middle East. The elite hate each other <laughs> so much yes, yes. <laughs> that they all finally, in the end, it is Game of Thrones. grudgingly agreed to resort to democracy to, to sort out which one among them will be in charge. So uh, that's, that's the, that's Indonesia's saving grace to date. <laughs> Ego. Yeah. <laughs> Comes down to ego. Yeah. Kevin, it's great talking to you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Bye for now. And that's the pod. Our editing and sound engineering is done by Stephen Handoko. Our music is courtesy of the Blue Dot Session. For a free trial of Kevin's Reformasi weekly newsletter, go to reformasi.info. If you're listening to us through a podcast app, you know how this works. Please subscribe to this one and share it on social media. It would be a big help. As always, you can reach us at hello at onthelevel.id. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.